Thanks for downloading this week's Revolution Community Church Podcast. We hope you are challenged by this talk and will share it with your family and friends. If this is your first encounter with Revolution, we'll hope you'll come and visit us at our Logansport campus at 3930 East Market Street. Or check us out online at revolutioncc.org. Again, thanks for listening to this week's episode at Revolution, where Sundays are a party, where the family gets together and we're always expecting guests. Roots provide nourishment. Roots run deep. Roots keep one stable in any circumstance. Do you have roots? All right. Welcome. Roots Week 1. You guys doing okay? Everybody doing all right? Uh, yeah, we're starting a brand new series today called Roots, Not to be Confused with Roots. Um, because I know like, uh, we, we, we pronounce words differently. Some people choose to pronounce this word roots, you know, like kind of the rhyme with the double O sound in foot. Root, foot, it makes sense. Uh, I choose to make it kind of rhyme with boot, that double O sound, roots, boots, um, but I actually found out this word is one of the top 100 most controversially pronounced words in the English language. As if you knew there was such a list, right? Uh, 100 controversial words. Because everything tries to divide us now, right? Everything tries to separate us, put us in categories, split us up. Not at revolution, okay? You are welcome at revolution no matter what. Yeah, go ahead. Doesn't matter what you're going through, what your background is, kind of what the rap sheet might look like or whatever, and, and you are welcome at Revolution no matter how you choose to pronounce words, all right? You can be the hillbilliest of hillbillies and say, I was driving down Route 66 and I saw a tree with its roots, you know, and, or I mean, you can, whatever you want to do, you're welcome here. You can uh, say that an envelope's an envelope, that's fine, hey, well, Revolution's your church, you can call your aunt, your aunt, uh, whatever it may be, caramel, caramel. The only thing we will not put up with is pronouncing tomato as tomato, okay? We just, that's just, it's, like, that's unforgivable. You do not mess with the main ingredient in salsa, okay? But anyway, but this series is not about word pronunciation. Let me tell you what this series is about. It actually comes from uh, a verse in the book of Colossians in the Bible. And let, me, uh, let me go ahead and show it to you. And we're going to look at two verses. The second one's where the, like, the majority of it kind of is focused on. It says, and now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. And let's say the, the highlighted word together, however you want to pronounce it. That's, it's fine. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. So that's what this quick series challenge for you. Man, memorize verse 7 because that is a summary of what this series is about. Growing deeper in our walk with Christ building our life more on the foundation of Jesus, letting our roots grow deeper in, in our faith. Because what are roots? Think about it. Roots are the often unseen part of a tree or plant that brings life and nourishment to what is seen. 
Uh, roots keep a tree upright. They give it stability. The deeper the roots, the stronger the tree, and the more the tree can endure. Uh, roots pull in nutrients to the tree. The healthier the roots, the healthier the tree. There's no fruit without a root, okay? I mean, so we might talk about that one week. I don't know. So, so we're going to be diving into how to deepen our faith and our walk with Jesus. Now, if you are here today and you're like, I'm not sure about Jesus yet, and I'm just kind of checking things out, and I'm not sure about a faith in Christ, and, and man, what a great series to come to, because you're going to get to hear all these different things, like of what it looks like to follow Jesus, and you'll get to kind of assess, do I want my life to be about that or not? And there's going to be a couple opportunities in this series where we're going to give you a chance to like, say, I, I'm going to make my life about following Jesus Christ. And that's the main purpose of this series, the main purpose of every series at Revolution. So if you're not sure yet, man, this is a perfect series to be here at Revolution, to be checking things out. Um, and in figuring out how to deepen our, our roots in Christ, what we're going to do is... We're going to kind of dive into a book of the Bible, actually the book that this verse comes from. We're going to look at all kinds of different things within this book. It's four chapters long, the book of Colossians, and we're going to pick out different verses each week and kind of deep dive into what these verses mean to us and how it applies to us and how it you know, how we walk these things out in our faith. So one other thing we're going to do in this series as a way to kind of go through this book together, there's four chapters, four weeks of this series. So every week, a revolutionary is going to read a chapter of the book of Colossians to us as a church. People that you're probably not familiar with, don't know, are going to be on these videos, which is awesome. And so uh, Joby Tabler is going to take us through chapter one, the longest chapter of the book of Colossians. But let's just listen into this entire chapter together. Colossians chapter 1. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. We are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. We always pray for you and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant, and he is helping us on your behalf. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all of his glorious power so that you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. 
He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead, for he is first in everything. For God in all of his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless, and you stand before him without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. So the good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. I am glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you, Gentiles, too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. So, we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God, perfect in their relationship to Christ. That's why I work and struggle so hard depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. I love the smile at the end. Like I made it through it. Uh, good job. Yes. So one other next step we're really encouraging, and I talked about this uh, uh, for a few minutes last week, um, is like to utilize this tool right here, the YouVersion Bible app. So we've, been, we've talked about this for years. Like this is the, the Bible app we strongly encourage you to have downloaded if you have a smartphone. So a couple next steps. If you don't have this app on your phone, like I would, it, it's free. Download it right now. Use the church Wi-Fi. So everybody pull your smartphones out if you don't have it. If you do have it, open it up right now. Open up the Bible app. Version Bible app, and there's a, in the bottom right corner, there's a tab that says more. If you hit that tab, and then you hit events, there's a bunch of different options that come up. If you hit events, now for those that don't have the app, you're just downloading the app, I'll tell you something in a second that you can do. But if you hit events, the first event that pops up is this series called Roots at Revolution Church, if you have your location settings turned on. Now if that doesn't work, you can actually just go to plans and search this word right here, rooted. There's a 21-day devotional. Like, we're going to do this as a church community. So we're, 21 days, this is a four-week series. So if you start today, you'll actually finish the devotional on the last Sunday of this series. So it kind of connects. So we're going to do this. You're going to find out some ways through social media and stuff to kind of engage with this even more. But you can search that in plans. It's a really cool thing we're doing. Our staff's doing it. Our board's doing it. Kind of lead the way. So let's just do this together. That's a great next step. So uh, if you haven't got that, I'll give you a few more seconds. Search rooted. Just hit that, start that plan. 
So let me tell you where we're going for the rest of our time today. We're going to do two things. We're going to look at the history of this church and this letter that was written. Because I think it's, knowing the history of this, it's really going to help us engage with this series better. And then the second thing we're going to do is we're going to look at one really important root that we need to, to kind of think about in our lives. So, um, so let's look at history first. So Colossians, it's actually one of my favorite books of the Bible because it's the only letter in the Bible that was written to a small town church. So there's lots of different books of the Bible were, were written to churches, but the, they were all in urban areas, metropolitan areas. The only letter written to a small town church is the book of Colossians. It was written by a guy named Paul that was in prison in Rome when he wrote the letter. And uh, he wrote to this small town in Colossae. And, and here's what's so unique. Paul never visited this church. The author of this letter was never there. Like, he didn't help start the church or anything in so much as he was there. But here's what it says in the second chapter, verse 1. I want you to know, Paul's writing this. I want you to know how much I've agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea, which was a few miles from Colossae, and for many other believers who have never met me personally. So Paul never went to this town, never went to this church, as far as we know. But he had a huge hand in getting things going in this movement of faith. So let me just kind of tell that story. It's this, it's this really cool story. Paul spent three years preaching and teaching the gospel in this metro area called Ephesus. Ephesus was about 100 miles away from Colossae. It was this large city. And when Paul got there to do ministry, he, he uh, went to the synagogue to start preaching the gospel. Because even though a church is not a building, we need a building often to expand the mission of the church, right? So thank God for this building. So Paul went to the synagogue when he first got there, and he was kind of preaching about Jesus. Because he was a Jewish man, he was trained in the religious system of the day, he was once a Pharisee, so he thought he would be accepted in this synagogue. But here's what happened, and we, we get the story in another book of the Bible called Acts. It tells us this story. It says, Then Paul went to the synagogue and preached boldly for the next three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some became stubborn, rejecting his message, and publicly speaking against the way. And, and that label there, the way, that's what they were calling Jesus followers, followers of the way. That was kind of the, the name that they'd given for this little grassroots movement of faith called following Jesus. So he was preaching in the synagogue, and, and people were rejecting his message. So here's what happened. So Paul left the synagogue in Ephesus, and he took the believers with him. Then he held daily discussions at the lecture hall of Tyrannus. And I love that scripture gives us this deal, or this detail here. The synagogue wasn't working. The religious community was rejecting the message at the synagogue. So he moved into this lecture hall. This community building that people were probably already familiar with, like Jesus followers, non-Jesus followers, Jewish people, Greek people, people that were religious, people that were non-religious, used this lecture hall. So Paul goes to this lecture hall, and he starts preaching the gospel message, which is why I'm so glad God blessed us as a church with this amazing space right here. This is not a synagogue. This is just a space. That's all this is. There's no steeple. There's no stained glass. There's no pews. There's no fancy architecture. There's no fancy religious symbols. We have metal deck ceilings. We have concrete floors, and we have drywall. That's what we have here, right? And doors, I guess. And, and, and listen, this is a space that people were coming out of, in and out of for 15 years, buying paper and laptops and getting stuff printed and getting trapper keepers when that was a thing, you know. And, and so and I, I just love that God blessed us with this exact space that people are already connected with. And this is a space, not a synagogue, and God's using it. Anyway, that's a side note. But, but through the ministry at this lecture hall in Ephesus, the church was growing like crazy. 
I mean, it was a movement, like we say about revolution. Here's, here's what it says in verse 10. This went on for the next two years so that people throughout the province of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. So at this community of faith in Ephesus, people from all over the region were coming, all over Asia Minor. And here's why I'm telling this story. The cool thing about this is um, at some point during those two years in Ephesus at the lecture hall, a guy named Epaphras visited and heard Paul talk about Jesus. And, and like, I'm, I'm sure he, he'd heard rumors about what was going on, that there was this movement kind of happening of people that were believing in this guy that just a few years before this had been crucified on a cross, and people were saying that after he was crucified, three days later, he beat death, he robbed the grave, he came back to life, and, 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 like all these, and people were following this Jesus, and, and when you follow Jesus, they were talking about how you would get new life in him, and he would forgive your past, and, and he would reconnect you in a relationship with God, and I'm sure as Epaphras was hearing all of this, he had all kinds of questions about it, I'm sure, like maybe some of you today, like you're, you're here and, and you have all kinds of questions, and you're not sure about things, and maybe the reason you find yourself is in, in this church today is you're, you're like, you're going through something maybe, maybe you've had like a big tragic event happen in life, or a lot of different things have kind of happened, and, and, and there's some questions, and you're like, well, maybe I'll just give church a shot, that's kind of what we do, or I'll give church another shot, maybe you grew up in this thing, and and I believe if, if that's you, if I'm talking to you, it is not a coincidence that you are here on this exact Sunday. Like, there is a reason you're here. So don't tune out. Because I guarantee the first time Epaphras came to that lecture hall, he probably snuck in a little late, you know, didn't want to be seen, didn't want to have to shake anybody's hand or whatever, and probably snuck out a little early so he wasn't pressured to fill out a next step card, you know, and but eventually, he kept going over and over again to this lecture hall and hearing the gospel. And one day, it just, it just made sense, and he gave his life to Jesus Christ. He took that first step, and then he took another step, and then he took another step, until eventually he was trained and prepared by Paul to go back to his hometown and start a church. And guess where Epaphras was from? Colossae. And maybe you heard it when Joby read earlier. It says in verse 7, you learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. So Epaphras, under Paul's guidance and mentorship, went back to his hometown and started the Colossian church. And, and the final background thing I want to give on this, I said before, it's the only letter written to a small town. So this place that Epaphras was saved by God and trained by Paul in, Ephesus, and where he went back to plant a church, could, these two cities could not be more different. Like, everything that Ephesus was, thriving economy, huge city, beautiful architecture, Colossae was not. And let me just show you, if you, you can visit the site of where these cities used to be located. Here's what Ephesus looks like today. It's modern-day Turkey. You can go visit and see a lot of what used to be, you know, this amazing, thriving city called Ephesus. If you go visit Colossae, here's what you'll see. There's nothing left, because there never really was much of anything. And th this theologian in the 19th century, he says this about this church in this area. He says, without a doubt, Colossae was the least important church which any epistle of St. Paul is addressed. And that word epistle, it just means letter. 
This was the smallest community of any churches mentioned in the New Testament. It was a backwoods, backwater town. It was a blue-collar worker town built on agriculture. They probably had seasons like we're in where will the rain ever stop? Are we ever going to get these crops out or in or whatever? Uh, it It was located in a river valley. I mean, in many ways, Colossae was the Logan sport of the New Testament. And and, and think about the attitudes and mindsets of people and and how they're affected by their surroundings and their community. I mean, it can really play into our psyche. It can play into our view of ourselves. I've seen it so many times with people that live in this community, and I've seen it with myself sometimes. The Colossians probably struggled with self-worth, self-esteem, and and they, they saw themselves as an insignificant community of people. Like most people don't even know we're on the map. And that's why I believe Paul starts very specifically the letter in the way he does. Let's look at the first two verses. It says, this letter is from Paul. Again, Paul wrote it. Chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. And I can imagine as as someone is reading this letter to the church congregation, because that's how it was read. They didn't pass the letter around. Most people couldn't read. So one person would stand in front of the assembly of the church and read the letter out loud, and I would guarantee there's people like thinking, or maybe even saying out loud, like, why is Paul writing us a letter? And we don't even know Paul, you know? I mean, we know of him, like he plants churches in like Philippi and Ephesus, but why in the world is he taking time to write a letter to us? Like little old Colossae. And then he, he says this next. We are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Before Paul dives into anything else, before he gives any advice, before he gives any guidance, he starts by saying, this is who you are. And I believe there is a huge message to this small town, this little church called Colossae, but I believe there's a huge message to this small town and this little church called Revolution in this verse. Because here's the big idea for week one. If you want to write something down, this is it. To be rooted in Christ, we have to understand who we are in Christ. If we're going to start deepening in our walk with Christ, if we're going to let our roots grow down into him, have our lives be built on him, it starts with an understanding of who we are in him. This is so big. And let me explain it like this. Our identity in Christ is the taproot of our life. And if you're not familiar with that language, I wasn't either. I don't know a whole lot about trees, so I had to do some studying this week. So you've been wondering, what is, that, what is the purpose of that evergreen tree on stage? It is going to fulfill its purpose right now. Because uh, evergreen trees, pine trees, they have a very unique root system. They have a deeply penetrating root that grows straight down from the trunk called the taproot. And of course, Pine trees, evergreen trees are very top-heavy, and they don't lose their pine, their pine needles in the fall, so the snow that weighs on them and the wind, they act almost like a sail in the wind. They, they experience the elements in a different way than other trees that just have leaves. So they, so they have this taproot that acts like an anchor in the soil. With some pine trees or evergreen trees, that taproot goes 75 feet deep into the ground. As like an anchor. It goes and it, it finds a very significant water source so that the tree can grow stronger and stronger and get healthier and healthier. That's the purpose of the taproot. And our identity is the taproot of our life. It, it's the main root, the anchor root. 
Like to be rooted in Christ, we have to understand who we are in Christ. And it, it seems like identity should be an easy thing to get rooted in in our world, right? I mean, especially in the days of caller ID, where you know who someone is before you even pick up the phone, right? Remember when you didn't know before you picked up the phone? Like, I, oh, I'm risking it. Maybe it's a telemarketer, but hello, who is this? You, know, you had to say, who is this? And if you didn't say, who is this, like a few seconds in, you're wondering, who is this? And now I don't want to ask because I've waited too late to ask that question or whatever. And then I remember when we got caller ID at our house, we had that like, green screen caller ID that hooks up to the phone. It's like a separate unit or whatever, and it was in the dining room. So we had caller ID in the dining room. We did not have caller ID upstairs. My mom and dad had a phone in the bedroom as well that did not have caller ID. So I learned to play a little trick with that. If a, if a telemarketer was calling, I could yell up, mom, it's for you. It's important. Because she didn't know. And, it's, and she's on the phone 45 minutes for a free vacation to Florida that wasn't free, you know. And so I, I don't know why I had fun with that, but uh, that's just something you do. But, but caller ID it seemingly answers that simple question, who am I? But, of course, all of us know that our identity is deeper and, and more than just a name, right? Because, like, a, a name's like an identifier, but it's not our identity. Because for the most part, everybody in the world knows their name, but so few of us know who we really are. And we live in a world with way more than caller ID. We live in a world where you can swab the inside of your mouth and send it off to a company, and then a few weeks later, they'll send you your exact DNA results. I'm 50% this, and 30% this, and 10%, 4%. I, I mean, and, and just like, this is who you are. We have personality tests out the wazoo. We have all kinds of boxes we check on job applications that try to label us and qualify us. And I, I love most of this. Like, I, I love taking personality tests. I love diving more into how God made me. But, but none of that can be the tap root, right, the, the anchor root of our life. Because although we, all, we understand all these different things about ourselves, we still lack a confidence and a clarity in who we really are. Like, if all these things really identified our true identity, then we should have, like, a, a more of a confidence and a clarity. But when you look around the world, you don't see that. You often see this right here. And honestly, I, th I think many of culture's problems go to the heart of identity, from, from divorce rates to loneliness to mass suicide, lack of worth, lack of value. We've forgotten who we are. And this is such a big deal, because if you know who you are, you'll know what to do. I mean, knowing our identity and having it rooted in something solid is so important, because if you know who you are, you'll know what to do. But see, most people, we, we try to find our identity in the self. Like, go to any Barnes & Noble bookstore, if you can still find one open, and, uh, and you'll see you know, categories, self-help, self-esteem, self-love, which all has in common self, right? That's what we, we, we try to look inside, like it's my understanding, it's, it's, it's an inward look at myself, That's, this is where I find out who I am, but trying to find our identity in the self, it's like a taproot that goes about six inches into the soil and hits bedrock. It's not deep enough. I mean, especially not to hold up to the things this world throws at us. Here's another shallow taproot we try to kind of anchor our identity in, our surroundings, we find our identity in the, the town we live in or the car we drive or the house we buy, the people we're connected with. And man, some of that can be a good root system but a horrible taproot. Because here, here's what happens when we do that. 
You, you look at someone else and you determine that they're the smart one, which obviously makes me the dumb one. Um, they're, they're the pretty one, so that must mean I'm the ugly one. They're the successful one, which makes me the loser. I don't know what you say, right? And you see, when we try to find our identity in comparison and contrasting other people, we, our, our identity ends up in one of two places, pride or despair. Like pride, I'm all that, I got it all together, or despair, I'm the other one. I'm the loser. And some of us, listen, because we're attempting to root our identity in our surroundings and other people, we're living in bondage to an identity that was spoken over us by someone else. I was having a conversation with someone a few months ago, and someone that's kind of been in and out of revolution for several years and, and kind of goes through this cycle of just making really bad decisions and getting, getting life kind of messed up really bad, and then they, they come back to the church, and they try to get things cleaned back up, and they start going in the right direction again, but then they think they got it all together again, so they go back out, and they kind of do the same thing over, they get messed up, and then they, it's just this cycle, and we were kind of talking in my office, I'm like, dude, do you, do you, do you see how this, like, it's, it's, it's not working, right? Do, do you see that? Can you... Like, why, why does it keep happening over and over again? It's not working. And he said, I mean, this is just who I am. My parents always said I was a rebel and a hellion, man. This is just who I am. And man, so many people fall into that identity trap. Someone handed you an identity, and now you're like an actor playing a role, and your whole life is acting out of that false identity. It's not, it's not who you really are. It's, it's a fictional role in a play that someone else gave you. I've known ladies at Revolution that keep dating a string of really bad guys. And, and if you were to ask them, why do you keep dating these kinds of guys? They'd be like, because I'm, I'm, I'm damaged goods. I don't deserve any better. Who told you that? God didn't tell you that. Jesus didn't tell you that. But her identity is found in, in surroundings, in society, in, in, in self kind of lying to her. And again, I believe that's why Paul starts the book of Colossians with a statement about who this small town church is. You are God's holy people. And then several verses toward the end of the chapter, he says it again. He says it in verse 22. He says, yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result of that, he has brought you into his own presence. And let's say these three words. You are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Now, holy is not a word we use very often to explain who we are. Like if I passed a microphone around this auditorium and said, give us one word that explains your identity, nobody's saying holy. Some of us might use the word unholy, right? We would definitely take on the sinner label before we would ever think of identifying ourselves as a saint, as holy. And in one sense, we'd be right, okay? Paul, the guy that wrote Colossians, he also wrote a letter to the Romans where he said this, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. He said, if you say you, you've never sinned, you're calling God a liar. In another place, he says, we're all sinners by nature and choice. But if you're a Christ follower, is your identity sinner? Big question. The answer is no. Your activity is different from your identity. Okay, your activity is sinner. Sin explains some of what we do. Saint, holy, explains the totality of who we are. 
Okay, sin explains our occasional activity. Saint explains our constant identity. And, and yes, our total makeup is completely messed up by sin because we still live on this planet. But if you've given your life to Christ, then there's going to come a day when the real you gets to exit this planet and you will be with Jesus and you will be like Jesus, perfect. Like that day is coming. I'm pretty pumped about that day, by the way. And, and if sinner was your identity, then it would be constant through eternity. But there is a day where we pass from this life and, and you will eternally exist Jesus-like, sinless. See, sin may explain a portion of your existence, but it does not explain your eternal identity. Sin explains what we do. Saint explains who we are. And that's why Paul, inspired by God, says to the Colossians, he says to the revolutionaries, I'm writing to holy people, faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. You are holy and blameless before God. That's your identity in Christ. And how did you get this identity? One word, Jesus. I belong to Jesus. He calls me holy. And one day I'll be perfect like Jesus. In this life, I'll never quite make it. I'll pursue progress, and I will rest in the identity of who Jesus says I am. We getting this a little bit? See, how many of you grew up in like, uh, like a, a religious home maybe or grew up in a religious church and that, that kind of used the Bible as like a machine gun to make you feel bad about yourself? Like, like you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. And it was like, it was like the worse you felt about yourself, the, the closer to God you were. That's kind of the thought I used to have. I must be getting closer to Jesus because I just feel awful about myself right now. And I, I would just cry and cry in church services out of the guilt I experienced because I just felt like the worst person alive sometimes. See, friends, God is so different from that. God's like, rest in your identity in my son. You are holy because he is holy. But God, no, I'm a sinner. I know, but I'm going to call you a saint. I mean, why would you call me a saint? That's not what I do. I know, but that's what you're going to do. But that's not who I am. I know, but that's who my son is, and he lives in you now. Well, I mean, that's not what I've achieved. I know you received it. That's kind of how it works. That's not what I deserve. I know it's a free gift. It's called grace. My son offers it. All you got to do is accept it. How amazing is that? I mean, see, that is a root. That is something we can anchor our life to that is way stronger than the self, the surroundings, than anything this world can throw at us, friends. That's our identity, who Jesus says we are. And no, we do not deserve it. But I have to give us the next verse because Paul gives us a warning. We're going to end with this warning here. I think it's so vital as we get ready to leave this, this place and go back into surroundings and get consumed back with the self somewhat. This is a verse we need. He says this next. But you must continue to believe this truth. And let's say it. And stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. He's like, you got to be rooted in this. Rooted in this truth. It's got to be strong. It has to be deep. Deeply rooted in you. Because Paul knew the self, the surrounding society, this world, it would try to take our soul and move it away from the truth of what Jesus says about us. And that's why Paul says, you've got to stand firmly in this. Uh, when I was a kid, 
my uncle planted a weeping willow tree in the front yard. And this is not that tree. This is a really beautiful weeping willow tree. But he'd, he'd always wanted a weeping willow tree, and all his kids were out of the house, and he thought he was in the clear to plant some new vegetation out front. He failed to remember his nephew was coming that summer. I think I was six years old. I was outside playing. I was unsupervised. I was bored. And what do six-year-old boys that are unsupervised and bored do? They destroy things. That is what happens. Maybe that's all you came for today, parents. You just needed to know it's okay. They've destroyed some stuff. It's okay. So what did I do? This newly planted weeping willow just a few months in the ground, I decided, okay, I'm going to get rid of my boredom by pulling this tree, yanking it out, and just killing this new weeping willow tree. That's exactly what I did. And I don't remember how I was punished. It must not have been really bad because I don't remember it. But see, constantly, listen, constantly, that is what the world is trying to do. That's what the flesh is trying to do. That's what our enemy, the devil, is trying to do. He's trying to rip apart the truth that we can be firmly planted in. That This is what Jesus says about us. There's so many lies out there that try to get us away from that truth, that anchor. And we're going to sing this final song. It's a truth proclamation. That's what it is. And maybe, maybe as, as we've got all this kind of information, all this stuff we've talked about, this is the final thing as we sing out these words. Like, this is what's going to anchor us so we can go back into another week and stand firmly rooted in this truth. If you're here today and you're not sure about Jesus yet, you've been thinking about that, there's a room over here that's going to open. It's the prayer room. There's going to be some volunteers that would love to just pray with you, talk with you, take that next step today. But let's just stand together. God, as we stand, as we sing these words, I pray that the truth of what we've talked about today would go deeper than it's ever gone before. You call us holy. You call us blameless. Man, we don't deserve that. But it's who you say about It's what you say about us. So give us the strength as we proclaim this to stand strong in that truth.